Hello. My name is James Rabaniak, and I am a monster. I don't mean that in a melodramatic way. I don't mean I've done awful things as a human being. I mean, I have. But if that's what I meant, I would say I'm an asshole, which, to be fair, I am. I am a human asshole. I am a human asshole who's also a monster. I'm letting myself off the hook by even saying monster. The truth is, I'm a werewolf. Werewolf. That is very hard to say. Werewolf. It's emotionally difficult for me to say, for obvious reasons. But for a lot of people, it's literally a difficult word to say. Werewolf. 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 You have to work at it. You have to put your tongues back into it, so to speak. You can't half-ass it. Most people say werewolf. And as a werewolf, frankly, this offends me. It really takes a lot of oomph out of telling people you turn into a raging abomination once a month when they can't enunciate. It's like telling someone you're running for president and they reply, wow, president? Not that I tell people I'm a werewolf, not anymore. At first I told a lot of people. No one believed me. They thought I was messing with them. To be fair, I did used to mess with people a lot. I used to say weird things to challenge them, to try to get them to think differently. It was my profession. I was a motivational speaker. If you're keeping track, my name is James Urbaniak. I'm a human asshole, a werewolf, and a former motivational speaker. Those things are all equally important. I refuse to be defined by just one label. I was not a particularly successful motivational speaker. I didn't play big rooms, as it were. I mostly did small business retreats, usually in tiny meeting rooms and rural holiday inns. I gave a lot of PowerPoint presentations about unlocking your inner potential to people who made a lot more money than me. Being an unsuccessful motivational speaker is an awkward career at best. It's sort of like being a plumber who can't fix their own toilet. Still, I was proud of my work. My favorite talk was called, Are You Parenting Your Inner Child? Anyway, I'm not a motivational speaker anymore. I'm too busy being a werewolf. Too busy parenting my inner monster. As I record this, I'm in the back of a Winnebago. I am parked deep in the woods outside of Brainerd, Minnesota. There's a chill in the autumn air, but I'm very comfortable in my Winnebago. It's a retro Winnebago which means it looks like an old Winnebago from the 70s, but on the inside, it's fancy. There's a 36-inch HDTV. The floors and roof are easy clean vinyl. I spent my life savings on the down payment. Yes, I spent my life savings on a Winnebago. That should give you a sense of the quality of life one can expect from being a werewolf. There are also monthly payments. Monthly payments. That's a little werewolf humor. Speaking of werewolf humor, I'm tied to a chair, restrained by heavy chains. I left myself enough play so I can still reach the laptop to record this. The chair's comfy, but heavy. It's bolted to the floor. It's a good, solid chair. 
One of the reasons I decided to go with this model of Winnebago, sturdy chairs. One thing you learn real fast when you're a werewolf is that you need a sturdy chair. Early on in my werewolf days, I tied myself to a chair from Ikea and murdered three people. Thanks, Ikea. Not that I'm blaming other people for my problems. I take full responsibility. You are what you do. That's what I used to tell my clients when I was giving a presentation. While they stared at me with dead eyes and fondled their blackberries. You are what you do. And that is why I'm recording this, my friends. My future clients. Tonight... I am going to control my actions. Tonight, under the bright, glaring eyes of the full moon, I will not turn into a wolf. It's been three years since I was cursed. Without fail, every full moon, I've become a monster. But not tonight. What's different about tonight, I ask you? My attitude. You are what you do, but who you are determines what you do. You see? It makes sense if you listen closely. You are what you do, but who you are determines what you do. I truly believe all I need to stop myself from becoming a savage beast, breaking out of these chains, running into town, and killing some drunk kids hanging out at Arby's is a good attitude. More on my good attitude in a moment. First, I want to tell you a story. I learned in my career as a shitty motivational speaker, that humans are wired to crave storytelling. Everyone pines for a happy ending. Well, you can't have a happy ending without a horrible beginning, so let's start there. It was three years ago. I just finished my worst presentation as a motivational speaker. I've been hired to give my talk, Just Be Some of Yourself, to freshman business majors. A couple of the punks in the back were passing a flask around. I knew they weren't going to listen to me, so I suggested we play some games. Trust Falls. Trust Falls with drunk college students. Brilliant. I was demonstrating with one of the tipsy ones. I tried to catch him. I really did. But if I'm being perfectly honest, I could have tried a little harder. I could have at least tried to direct his fall so he didn't crack his head open on the corner of a cheap Michael Graves plant stand. But he did. Cracked his head wide open. On a Michael Graves plant stand. Blood everywhere. This was in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. Birthplace of Judy Garland. Well, she was Judy Garland on the outside, but on the inside she was Francis Gum. Francis Gum plus barbiturates equals Judy Garland. I made sure the drunk freshman with the head wound got to the hospital. That was my responsibility. Then I made my apologies and took myself out for a drink at the hotel bar. Four Paps Blue Ribbon Tall Boys later, I decided to go for a walk in the woods. I needed some perspective, 
a professional motivational speaker, I'd often told people that nature was the way to get centered. If you're feeling small or insignificant, I would say, go look at the ocean. I was an idiot. Why on earth would looking into the tremendous majesty of nature make you feel better about your insignificance? I should have told people to look at something really small, something they could crush or fit inside their mouth. While I was getting in touch with myself by looking at big trees that made me feel impotent, something in the darkness snarled at me. I thought it was a big dog, but it was a wolf. A wolf is just a big dog, really, so I guess it's all about perspective. Judy Garland is just Francis Gum with barbiturates. The PBR and I decided to panic and run through the woods. Many tree limbs reached out to thwack me in the face and the groin. It was as if the woods themselves were trying to hold me down so this big dog could get to me. Which, of course, it did. Eventually, I tripped, the big dog tore into my shoulder, and I blacked out. I remember trying drunkenly to shout something positive. I wanted my last words to be good ones. I think what I managed was, Life is what you make! Oh, God! Oh, my clavicle! When I woke up, my clothes were torn, my flesh was scarred, but there was no blood. Somehow these were old scars. The only part of me that hurt was my head from the hangover. I stumbled back to the hotel and did all the normal things anyone would do. I googled mysterious scars on WebMD. I searched the local news for any mention of a feral mystery hound. Nothing. Maybe it was a dream, I thought. A dream so powerful it physically scarred my body. That was just as creepy as the truth, but it didn't feel as stupid as getting drunk and being mauled by a big dog in the hometown of Judy Garland. I didn't have health insurance, so I didn't go to the doctor. I didn't really have anyone to talk to. I'm an only child. My mother is gone and my father has Alzheimer's. I'd recently broken up with my girlfriend, April. April was a great person. Very supportive, deep-throaty laugh, an open, honest face but you are what you do. And you know what April did? She slept diagonally in the bed. Always. No matter how straight of a line she started out in, by the middle of the night, she would have pushed me half out of bed. It was all about her. She had to go diagonal. And I just couldn't be with a diagonal. So no family, no romantic entanglements. I was already spending most of my time alone and traveling. My social life was primarily trading barbs with acquaintances on the Internet. If I was going to become a werewolf, at least I had a good lifestyle for it. And yes, yes, I did jump to the conclusion that I was going to turn into a wolf. You're goddamn right I did. You get magic scars from being mauled by a wolf in the woods and see what conclusions you jump to, you assholes. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm projecting. When the first full moon came, I decided the safest thing would be to hang out around other people, so I went to Denny's. This was a Denny's in Ames, Iowa. In retrospect, that was a cruel choice. In my defense, I had thought that if a man started to turn to a large bipedal wolf in the middle of a Denny's, someone would call the motherfucking authorities. I almost ordered the moon over my hammies, then I decided it'd be a better omen if I ordered the silver dollar pancakes... I took one bite, and then I felt a terrible pain. 
pretty normal for a Denny's meal up to that point. But then I felt all the scars of my body tear open. Everything went dark. And all I could see was that big dog. That wolf. It came running toward my mind's eye with its jaws open. And nothing. I woke up in a ditch. I was topless, but I still had my pants on. So I still had my phone, my wallet, my car keys, anything that would identify me. I'd always assumed that when a man turns into a wolf, his pants would come off. But you know what they say about making assumptions. They make an ass out of you and me, and no one knows you were the guy who killed 17 people at Denny's. After that, I tried to turn myself into the authorities. It was a painful half hour of being mocked and annoyed that a bunch of assholes kept saying, Werewolf. Suffice it to say, it was not taken seriously. So I began my nomadic existence, wandering the cheap motels of America, locking myself in rooms, tying myself to Ikea chairs. Most nights I escaped whatever cage I'd made for myself. I only know who or what I killed if it makes the news, or some distinctive bit of clothing or furs clutched in my hands the next day. I can't account for my whereabouts. I just have to put it together based on the clues. It's like that movie The Hangover, but not funny. I guess what I'm saying is being a werewolf is like The Hangover 2. It's not funny, it's just sad. I shouldn't joke. I shouldn't joke. I'm a murderer. It's not a laughing matter. I shouldn't take such a cheap shot at Hangover 2. A lot of good people really worked hard to make a good movie. It's not their fault. People demanded a sequel to something that was perfect once, just once. It's not their fault. How can the Hangover 2 help but go all diagonal? I do feel guilty. I really do. I feel guilty about making fun of Hangover 2 and about murdering God knows how many people, mostly near restaurants. I suppose it makes sense a wolf goes toward the smell of food, of grease and fat and salt. I once spent a full moon near a Chick-fil-A in Oklahoma. I figured if I'm going to kill people at a fast food restaurant, I might as well kill people I disagree with politically. I feel guilty about that. Feeling guilty is nothing new to me. I used to feel guilty every morning, before I was a werewolf. I used to lie in bed and run over all my choices, all my interactions from the previous day. I would always find something to take fault with. Some crass thing I shouldn't have said. Some selfish choice. When I was with April, I would wake up every morning racked with guilt for yelling at her in the middle of the night. You're a diagonal! I would yell, why do you have to be a goddamn diagonal? Anyway, waking up night after night as a wolf showed me what real guilt was. When you're a murderer, you don't sweat the little stuff. And I'm guilty of a lot of little stuff. I mean, there's the practical stuff I have to do. I rob convenience stores. I don't have an income. I need food. I don't technically need Vanity Fair magazine, but since I'm already robbing the local come-and-go, I figure why not live a little? I've also become a huge jerk on the internet. I block people when they respond to my tweets with the words actually or technically. 
My cousin posted a link on Facebook about her husband's chemotherapy, and I corrected her improper use of a possessive apostrophe. If I dislike your Instagram post, I will let you know. I become an internet troll. I'm an asshole, a werewolf, an internet troll, and a piece of shit failure of a motivational speaker. I have no motivation anymore. Three years. Three years of sitting around in a Winnebago reading Vanity Fair waiting to kill again. That's not me. That's not who I really am. I got an email yesterday. It was from that sloppy drunk kid I dropped on a plant stand. He said he'd been trying to find my contact info for a while. He said he wanted to thank me. Apparently, while the EMTs were loading him into the ambulance, I said something to him. Something that stuck with him. I said, sometimes we let ourselves fall down so we know we can get back up again. He said it inspired him. He got sober. He's about to graduate magna cum laude. Wants to be a motivational speaker, like me. Sometimes we let ourselves fall down so we know we can get back up again. I just said it to imply that the fall was his responsibility. I was trying to avoid litigation, and I wanted to get to that bar. I wanted to answer the call of Pabst. I let myself fall down that night. And I've been falling ever since. But tonight... Tonight... I will prove I can get back up again. And that's my story. A horrible beginning, and the monster in the middle. Now, the moon is almost up. It's almost time for my happy ending. I'm going to have so many great motivational speeches about this night. About inner strength. About resilience. I'll call the talk Parenting Your Inner Monster, or maybe How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Hangover 2. Maybe even I was a middle-aged werewolf, and so can you. Ha-ha! <laughs> ha! All you have to do is be positive. You are what you do, but what you do is who you are. I am positive. But tonight... Tonight... After I don't change into a wolf, I'm going to give April a call. I'm going to be honest and open. I'm going to tell her that while I am not and never will be a diagonal, I can accept that she is a diagonal. It's who you are, April, and I can accept that. Then I'm going to tell her who I am. I am James Urbaniak. I am an internet troll, a human asshole. I'm an avid reader of Vanity Fair. <coughs> I'm one hell of a motivational speaker. And most importantly, I'm a recovering werewolf. And she will welcome me back with open arms. <coughs> God. She'll say, James, you poor bastard. How you must have suffered as a werewolf. But if I'm being honest, oh dear lord, she won't say werewolf. She was never good at enunciating. 
She'll say werewolf. I hate it. I hate it. When people say With James Urbaniak, episode 21, Restraint, was written by Joseph Scrimshaw and performed by James Urbaniak. It was produced by James Urbaniak and Dustin Marshall. This program is part of the Feral Audio Network. Visit feralaudio.com for prior episodes and other podcasts.